The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Well, 26 days into the new fiscal year, we are one step closer to having a state budget for that fiscal year. Joining us uh, this week on the State House Takeout are Katie Lannon, Chris Lasinski, and Matt Murphy. Hi, folks. Hello. What's up, Sam? Hey. Hey. Hey, you two switch seats. We did. Uh, just trying to keep things a little interesting here in life as in takeout. Variety is the spice. It is. Well said. It's really going to throw the audience philosophy. off, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, if, if they could see. <laughs> um, uh, as I said, 26 days in, and we're not quite last in the nation, right? New Hampshire, anyways, still doesn't have a state budget, our neighbor to the north, right, Matt? New Hampshire, North Carolina, I think Oregon maybe still working on theirs. But no, we're certainly not last in the nation. But uh, when the legislature on Monday did take their final votes and finally send Governor Baker a budget, they were the last legislature in the country to vote on a final uh, spending package for fiscal 2020. Yeah. And now Baker has until which day to take his action, make any vetoes? By our count, he has until next Friday to review this. And uh, when one of the the major pieces in this budget and one of the things that uh, the chairman in both the House and Senate told me that uh, complicated matters was the the fact that they decided over the course of their negotiations to up their tax revenue collection estimates by nearly $600 million, which uh, allowed for a much bigger deposit into reserves, but also gave them about $317 million in extra money that they needed to figure out how to spend. And uh, the governor said that they're still reviewing that number along with everything else in the budget, uh, the puts and takes, as he put it. And uh, so uh, I think we're expecting him to take his time at least well into next week. Well, yeah, and and the governor and uh, his budget chief, Mike Heffernan, have been kind of tight-lipped about what, what they think exactly about this budget markup. Yeah, they haven't really telegraphed whether or not they think that the the conference committee was overly optimistic with that revenue estimate, or for that matter, what they think about any of the other provisions from the from the mass health uh, pharmaceutical drug pricing control provisions in the budget to uh, caps on uh, offshore wind pricing, a proposal to lift that uh, and significantly alter the way the bidding process for the second procurement of wind will come in, and some other provisions. And Katie, uh, one of the most uh, timely parts of this. Budget budget deal would be uh, what it does to UMass tuition for the upcoming semester. And that's something we've brought up uh, almost every week, I think, because (laughs) if you're a family with uh, a kid at one of the UMass campuses, this matters a fair amount. Yeah, one of those 75,000 students in their families. Right. Um, So uh, the tuition freeze was nixed from the final deal that the Senate had proposed. Um, What are the implications uh, for fall tuition? We heard from Marty Meehan this week. That's right. And we, we've been reporting uh, for a, a few months now that if the freeze language was not in there and the extra $10 million that uh, UMass System President Marty Meehan and other university officials had said would be needed to give the, the budget enough of a cushion, the UMass budget enough solid footing to preclude higher tuition rates, if that wasn't included either, that it would likely be a 2.5% tuition increase uh, for in-state undergraduates. And uh, President Meehan confirmed that this week. Of course, that's still subject to a vote by the Board of Trustees, which will happen probably sometime over the next month. They haven't set that date yet. Um, The trustees canceled as 
our listeners may recall their last uh, scheduled meeting for mid-July when they were supposed to have this vote. Their next one's scheduled for about mid-September, but of course, most of the students uh, at UMass will resume classes around Labor Day. So they're, they're still working out the schedules to find out when that vote can take place. Sure. And Chris, there was a surprise $23 million here from, from this revenue markup for the MBTA. Um, what might that portend for our transit system? We're still waiting to find out. I asked uh, Steve Poftak, the MBTA's general manager, about that this week, and his answer was to point out that this is not yet a final General Appropriations Act signed by the governor, um, basically using the, the lack of finalization to say that he hasn't decided yet and the, the board hasn't decided yet what they're going to do with this money. It's worth noting that that extra revenue that fell into their laps out of the blue is uh, more than two-thirds as much as they expect to bring in from fair height that went into effect on July 1st um, that uh, I think a lot of riders we all encountered were somewhat frustrated with. Well, yeah, the uh, the timing of those fair hikes, as we know, wasn't opportune. Matt? In, in some ways, I think the their silence on what they're going to do with that money can be frustrating, but also it might be wise. I think when we talked to the governor about this, uh, he said that he wasn't comfortable addressing this money. And that might be because we've seen some groups like Mass Taxpayers Foundation and others suggesting that the conference committee may have overshot with their revenue estimate. Maybe it's a little too rosy, a little too optimistic. So you think he might scale that down? I, I mean, it's entirely possible. I don't think we know yet what he's going to do, but that $23 million from the MBT for the MBTA is actually an automatic transfer. It comes from the, the penny on the sales tax that gets dedicated to the MBTA. So if you increase the sales tax revenue, new estimate, an extra $23 million automatically goes to the MBTA. If the governor is a little more uh, pessimistic about what's going to happen with the economy over the next 12 months, you could see that number shrink, though it's probably a good chance that they will get more money. Okay. And uh, anyway, Poftak, not counting as chickens before they hatch, uh, Chris. Uh, and that budget deal does also include a study for a blue line extension. Yeah, uh, uh, requiring uh, MassDOT to study the feasibility of extending the blue line from where it currently ends in Revere all the way up into Lynn and submitting those results by March 2020. This is something that I think a lot of uh, lawmakers, particularly North Shore lawmakers, have talked about for a while since um, if you live in Lynn, there really isn't an easy and accessible public transit way to get into the city. Um, this could be another way to try and get some more cars off the roads as we all sit here awaiting the administration's congestion study that's supposed to be done by the end of the month. Chris, you and I do have a lot to talk about because you've been immersed in MassDOT and the RMV, so forth. Uh, and the legislative oversight hearing that was supposed to be Monday to look into the RMV's um, uh, failures with, for example, monitoring those interstate uh, driver vi violations, that sort of thing. Uh, we're getting a do-over of that next Tuesday, right? Um, what happened this Monday? They, the lawmakers cut the hearing short. They recessed it almost immediately, right? Um, walk us through what happened there. They say that they weren't planning on doing that when they walked in. We were, we were in the room for probably about 45 minutes, give or take, and we heard opening remarks from the committee's two chairs, uh, Joe Boncori and William Strauss. And basically what they said was that the, the response they got from Stephanie Pollack, the Secretary of Transportation, ahead of the meeting was that she couldn't talk too much in depth about conditions at the RMV leading up to this scandal that's been unfolding. They could talk about what the 
the RMV has done since realizing that tens of thousands of warnings from other states about drivers who had incurred violations had been building up in a mailroom. They could talk about uh, basically what they were going to do to make sure that didn't happen again, but they weren't ready to be forthcoming with lawmakers about what might have happened to the RMV to precipitate this in the first place because an audit firm is already investigating that uh, that you know the administration ordered in response, and they didn't want to sully the results of that. Uh, that was kind of a frustrating message for the committee, who said that they're a co-equal branch of government and have as much of a right to ask these questions and get answers as a national audit firm does. So what they did is they decided to to recess that until next week, hoping that the the public signal of that might put enough pressure on uh, transportation officials to be more forthcoming. Right, that recess coming on a, a motion of Representative Paul Tucker from, from Salem. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stephanie Pollack, the transportation secretary, quickly exited the hearing room. The chairman of the committee um, held a lengthy availability with reporters. And um, one of the interesting questions uh, that I heard there was, uh, was there a legitimate legal reason for them wanting to hold back some information at this point. For example, if the family members of one of those motorcycle crash victims up in New Hampshire might bring a lawsuit against the RMV, might it make sense to hold back a bit at this point? Is there any uh, legitimacy to that? I think it's just too hard to say at this point, and that's what the lawmakers said. You know, um, they they don't really have any control or any role in a potential lawsuit. And it's worth noting that um, despite what the administration said that they wanted to hold off on uh, some information until the audit was done, that audit should be done within 60 days of when it was ordered. So we should see the results by September at the latest. Right. Uh, the next MassDOT board meeting, I think we're uh, expecting some kind of an update or perhaps a final report from Grant Thornton the uh, audit firm. So uh, what can we expect next Tuesday? Uh, We heard from Governor Baker that he's talked with lawmakers, and now the administration is encouraging the RMV employees who skipped out this week to participate next week. Um, Who are we expecting to show up? We're getting a a little bit of, uh, the signals are a little bit mixed on what exactly to expect next week. Signal trouble on uh, (laughs) a MassDOT issue? Um, The governor told reporters yesterday while he was talking about his transportation bond bill that uh, the administration had encouraged RMV employees uh, to to show up to next week's oversight hearing when they did not do so at Monday's oversight hearing. We pressed him on it. We said, are you ordering them to show up? And he once again repeated that they are encouraging employees to participate. But I caught up with uh, Chairman Strauss later in the day, and he told me that he was personally informed by Secretary Pollack that everyone that they requested will be there and will be happy to participate and the documents that they want will be uh, will be turned over. So we're getting different messages from different corners about what exactly Tuesday is going to look like, but uh, we'll find out soon enough. Katie? And, and I'll say too, I, I think, you know, even the, the committee members themselves, uh, aside from Chairman Strauss, who seems, uh, based on Chris's uh, reporting, to be have a pretty solid idea of what he's looking for if they might not even be sure what to expect. I was talking to one among the the rank and file. I was talking to one of the committee members earlier this week before uh, the governor said he'd been encouraging people. And I asked if they were going to, you know, if they expected this more success this week. And the the response I got was essentially, we'll see. Hmm. It's, you know, I, I don't think I think last week's hearing or, or this past week's hearing was so out of the ordinary that uh, 
a lot of people are, are curious to see what kind of the next chapter is going to be. Out of the ordinary, not only because of the way that things unfolded, but because oversight hearings themselves seem to be so rare up here on Beacon Hill. And I think just compounding the strangeness there was uh, amid all the frustration Monday, we heard House Speaker weigh in and say that any and all options would be explored and that the legislature would not be barred from doing its investigation. Committee members wouldn't rule out asking another committee to issue subpoenas that has the power to do so. And then all of a sudden, two days later, they're planning to reconvene the hearing next week. And apparently none of those actions have actually been taken behind the scenes, yet they're all optimistic that things will work this time. So top to bottom, it's been an unusual set of circumstances. Yeah, and I'll say too that while an oversight hearing is unusual on its own, the recessing it out of uh, frustration that the people you want to question aren't there is unusual. No showing an oversight hearing is not without precedent. Um, when Senate Post Audit was holding their their Mount Ida hearing last session, some of right. the uh, the top officials at the school were were unable to attend because of unforeseen circumstances. If I recall correctly, there was a health situation. Um, that that kept someone out of the room, but it's it's certainly uh, something that has kind of drawn the ire of of lawmakers in in past instances as well. Yeah, that Mount Ida hearing is an interesting precedent to keep in mind in terms of a legislative committee oversight hearing from recent years. Of course, that was was a committee option that uh, I believe did have subpoena power, Mm. unlike uh, the situation with transportation. And news this week on a couple of bond bills, state borrowing uh, bills. We'll we'll start with um, the so-called Greenworks bill, which is Speaker Bob DeLeo's um, proposal for climate adaptation for uh, local cities and towns around Massachusetts. Uh, This would be a grant program, right, Matt, that uh, would let local cities and towns target money to specific issues they have with uh, climate change in in their local areas? Yeah, that's right, Sam. This is the Speaker's proposal to borrow about $1.2 billion and spend this over the next decade in grants to cities and towns for uh, local uh, adaptation resiliency projects to prepare for and mitigate against the effects of uh, climate change. And uh, the speaker had said that he wanted to get this bill done before the summer recess. He made good on that promise this week. He brought it to the floor. It had been filed by uh, Chairman uh, Tom Golden of Lowell and uh, overwhelmingly cleared the House, and now it moves to the Senate where its uh, future is somewhat less certain. Yeah, this is Speaker DeLeo's proposal for climate adaptation. The governor has his own, takes a different approach. This would borrow money. The governor would take a, a tax approach. We don't know what President Spilka wants. Exactly. There seems to be a lot of consensus among the three leaders that they want to do something with climate change this session. But this, the Speaker's bill proposes to borrow this money outside of the state's bond cap. So in addition to all the normal borrowing that it does under some strict controls on how much debt the state can incur. Uh, The governor has proposed a different plan that would also invest a billion dollars over 10 years, but he's proposing to uh, increase real estate transfer taxes to pay for his program. He thinks this gives the state more flexibility to spend money. They can spend money to protect private lands as well as public lands. Uh, So uh, this is just a slightly different approach that uh, Senate President Karen Spilka has not said one way or another whether she favors the borrowing or the increased tax approach to pay for it. I did uh, talk to uh, Energy and Environmental Affairs Secretary Kathleen Theoharides this week. 
uh, she told me after she made a plug uh, before a committee that she was testifying in in front of in favor of the governor's bill uh she told me that she wasn't necessarily disappointed to see the speaker's bill move they're encouraged to see anything move at this point it is an awful lot of money that would go into uh climate change uh, preparedness so uh, i think you know we'll have to wait until the fall to see which tack the senate will take katie yeah, um, Colin and I were, were on the floor for the, the House session where this bill was passed. And, you know, one of the a lot of the, the reps were making kind of the same point that Matt just alluded to that, you know, people want to see something done for, for climate change. And I think we've all at this point heard that kind of 12 year figure that's out there. But uh, first year rep Maria Robinson made a, a more urgent point. She said for policymakers, they have 18 months to take action. Um, and she, she was speaking in, in support of a, an ultimately unsuccessful amendment that of the billion dollars in the speaker's bill would have made sure that at least 50% goes to mitigation efforts, not just the adaptation, you know, dealing with what's already happened or things after the fact, but mitigation trying to prevent further, uh, further climate change. And some interesting remarks from her on the House floor where we, we don't see a lot of, uh, debate or disagreement, but she pointed out that, uh, she thinks history will not look kindly on those who don't take the opportunity to save the planet. And Katie, another amendment offered by Rep. David Vieira, uh, who's from down the Cape, which, needless to say, had its own issues this week with uh, weather storm damage. Uh, Matt mentioned that uh, this bond bill would would borrow money from outside the state's bond cap, outside the state debt limit. And uh, Rep. Vieira, uh, who's a Republican, uh, took some issue with that, sought to address that with an amendment. Yeah, that's right. And he's a he's a member of the House Bonding Committee, and he he's raised this issue before. He's concerned that, you know, going with the outside the cap on this might raise red flags for the bond rating agencies, of course, where, you know, it's not too distant in the past now that we did see a, a bond downgrade. And Rep Vieira kind of threw a caution sign up and said, you know, this might might be a possibility we could see uh, another uh, Another downgrade, more concerns raised by those rating agencies about this kind of borrowing happening. And his amendment was rejected? Rejected uh, on a voice vote with uh, no one speaking in favor of staying outside the cap. Hmm. So not sure, I guess, what the what the argument on the other side would be, but apparently it was, uh, you know, compelling enough to the, the House members to sure. go along with it. And the bill passed 157 to zero. In yep, the House. unanimous vote. And Chris, the uh, other bond bill on our radar this week was an $18 billion uh, borrowing bill, uh, which Governor Charlie Baker introduced uh, at a press conference yesterday to add, uh, in his words, an arsenal of tools uh, to uh, transportation improvements in Massachusetts. Uh, fill us in on a couple of the highlights. We see administrations file transportation bond bills like this fairly regularly every few years or so, um, you know, laying out how they're going to borrow money and invest it in key transportation projects all around the state. Last one came in 2014. But that being said, there were a lot of interesting components in the governor's bill that he he laid out yesterday. Uh, among them, not even something necessarily related to the borrowing, but a $2,000 per
per employee tax credit to try and uh, incentivize businesses to allow people to work from home. The governor says that this is something that uh, has been proposed elsewhere, but has never actually been enacted in any state. And that if Massachusetts were to do it, it would be the first in the nation with something like this on the books, but that theoretically it could help reduce the congestion that all of us see on our roadways every day. Because if more people are working from home, fewer people are clogging up the highway at 845 trying to get to work and uh, uh, conditions get better for for everyone. This is so-called telecommuting. Telecommuting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also in that bill was uh, $5.7 billion for the MBTA, 2.7 of which would be basically brand new money that the MBTA does not have programmed in its uh, uh, you know long-term spending plans. Um, this money could go to... Uh, could go to accelerating some of the service improvements that they've had long planned. Um, also called for for changes in how they make contract procurements. So acceleration was really a, a key theme of what the governor pitched to all of us yesterday with this taking uh, work that they've had planned and work that they want to do and getting it done more rapidly since it's pretty apparent that public frustration is is growing over the state of uh, transportation. But let me just note too that if uh, the telecommuting pilot or telecommuting tax credit program does become law, uh, we will still be commuting in to our undisclosed location that is our podcast there to record the takeout. (laughs) Well said, well said. All right, well, folks, as we look ahead to next week, uh, we may see the House and Senate recessing for their summer recess, August recess, which would kind of put a pause on major legislative action until we could think after Labor Day. It would not put a pause on the takeout, though. It would not. Well, we'll uh, keep our eyes out for any uh, budget action from the governor, and uh, we'll see you folks next week. Enjoy the weekend. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.